sex work is very much left-hand path spiritual work because you're sticking your fingers in the muck and pulling out the diamonds you You are the lotus throwing out of the filth (laughs) and that's not because I think sex is dirty I think it's because people are so energetically blocked around sex that's that's the filth is just the not being forced to deny your true self Welcome to Left-Handed Journeys. My guest this episode is Venus Valentine. Folks, I'm very excited to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Venus Valentine, who is a gender-fluid femme sexpert, BBW fetish model, and podcast host based in Las Vegas. She identifies as a space witch, energy healer, and sex magic priestess. She is the host of the sex and relationship podcast, Dirty Panties, where she has interviewed drag queens, porn stars, and the direct descendant of L. Ron Hubbard about their sex lives. You can learn more at bbwvenusvalentine.com. I have no idea how much this mic picks up. My 145-pound dog just, like, came in and, like, plopped down. (laughs) I think that's just an occupational hazard of having a Malamute, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And my young one is four months old and she still gets separation anxiety if I shut the door. Oh Actually, no. She gets separation anxiety if I close the shower curtain. So Oh my God. Yeah. 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 It's a work in progress. Speaking of like I haven't been able to take. So Venus introduced me to phone sex work and I've so much enjoyed it. I it's definitely been a part of my own spiritual erotica journey, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I haven't been able to take calls because puppies. And so uh, I have like clients are like, I miss you. And I'm like, I miss you too. But <laughs> I, to- I would just tell them like there's gonna be puppies if you call I, me. I, 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 I sometimes call. I'm really honest. Oh, here they are. Oh I took one call and we got to like an orgasm and then there's these puppies in the background and I'm just like, you need to come now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My cat does that to me too. Sometimes he'll I'll be, I'll lie down to do a hypno call and he's like, meow. I'm like, shut up, dude. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, like, I feel like, I feel like the clients that I've kept because I've slowed down so much are the type that like want to know me as a person so they yeah oh for sure for sure and sometimes they like that humanity yeah if you're willing to share it with them yeah I took this first question from on being Krista always opens her podcast asking people about their spiritual biography and I quite enjoy it for starters what are your spiritual or religious roots where did you start Sure. I was raised by Buddhists. My parents started out as Zen Buddhists, and then my mom drifted into Tibetan Buddhism in the mid 80s. And I've engaged with it a little bit. I've never really found it to be a good fit for me personally. So I haven't really followed in their footsteps in that regard, but it's very important to them. My mom told me that they just got rid of a hundred pounds of Buddhist books because both her and my stepfather have this massive, they have two of each of these books that they were studying. It was an entire bookshelf in a room. So I come from a lineage of people who are very serious and committed to their spirituality. And for me, I was always more drawn to the magic side of things. And the first time I really connected with a spiritual tradition, and this will come off as really weird in the current 
modern context was an African traditional religion called Ifa. And it came to me via a book. This was in like maybe 1994. My sister had to read a book on it for a class in the art school she attended. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, there's all this like lore and mythology and all of these deities. And I really connected with these deities and I started like making artwork about it and I became really passionate about it. Mm. Um, But it is a lineage that you have to be initiated into. And it's controversial for white people to practice. I think a lot of people outside of those communities say, well, white people shouldn't practice African traditional religions. People within the communities will often say, well, the Orishas, which are the gods, they call who they want to call and they call people of all different colors and cultures and whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I would have pursued it as much in the current um, political context, but when I was 14 years old, pre-internet, I was just like utterly enthralled. And over the course of meeting with different, um, the priestesses are called Santeras or they're Santeros. And then the higher level priests are called Bablaos. I met with like several people and I was being told to get initiated. Like they would say like your ancestors and the Orishas want you to be initiated, but your soul does not want to be. Hmm. And I kind of struggled with this for a long time or like, should I, or shouldn't I, like, is this the right thing for me? And so ultimately I decided to walk away from it, that it wasn't something that I was, you know, committed to becoming initiate within. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stop working with these Orishas and I'm just going to do pursue a different path. Now, of course, as soon as I decided this, there is an Orisha called Eligua, who's the trickster God who enjoys fucking with people, but it's generally to teach them a lesson. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to work with Orishas anymore. I'm going to pursue other spiritual paths. And I go to this like witchcraft store, which wasn't even a botanica. It wasn't specializing in Ifa type religion stuff, but they still carried some Orisha candles. So I go there to buy some stuff. And the guy behind the counter is like, oh, I got a candle to give you. It's on the house. And he hands me an Eliqua candle. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you're not getting away that easy. Yeah. So I've kind of found a middle ground in which I keep an image of Eloqua by my door, just kind of out of honor and respect for him. But I chose not to be initiated into that tradition. It just felt very complicated and maybe not the right path for me. And from there, I really don't like labels. I joke about being a space witch because I'm very interested in aliens and outer space. But I think the term gray witch really applies to me too, because I'm a light worker, but I'm also a shadow worker. And I'm interested in all facets of human experience, light and dark. Um, I find a lot of the love and light, new age, hyper positivity stuff to be pretty toxic. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a sex worker, so I delve into some dark stuff with people and I like just not putting a label on what I do and not being left-hand path or right-hand path, but my own path moving forward. So that's kind of where I come from with all this. I don't know if you remember, but you, you stayed with me after a breakup and yeah. light an Eligua candle. And I didn't know what it was. I yeah. don't know if I ever looked at it, but I, I told you about a dream I had while you were staying with me in which somebody with darker skin and multicolored eyes and like a dressed in like a 40 style suit was standing in a doorway and put a magnet in a doorway. And it, the dream had to do with somebody that I was addicted to on Tinder, who was definitely not good for me. And this 
person led me away from that person and into my own room. And you told me like, oh, that's, that's, that's Illigua. Illigua. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. I remember you telling me about that dream and I'm just like, oh, okay. I guess I brought <laughs> right? him into your apartment. Sorry. I mean, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sorry. Not sorry. I mean, he can, he can be tricky to work with, but he's also good energy. So I can see that. Yeah. I still, I, and I, I have that same dilemma. Like when you, when you have a dream about a God, like, or uh, a presence, what are you supposed to do about it? You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, they might just be making a cameo. You might be being called to serve, or they might just be like saying hi. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you, you answered the second question. You know, I'll ask you anyway that if yeah. you guide someone through your spirit, spiritual evolution, besides what you've already mentioned, sure, is sure. another pivotal moment you'd include? Oh, absolutely. So I've always been very, I think spirituality and sexuality are, and art, creativity, those are the things that I care about the most in life. And the word Tantra is pretty loaded, but for lack of a better term, I will, I will say that maybe what I really mean is Neo-Tantra. But mm. in my late 20s, early 30s, I felt like I had already done so much sexual exploration within like BDSM communities and dabbling in sex work and just trying all kinds of different stuff. And I'm like, where is there to go sexually from here? And I'm like, I know I'll start studying Tantra, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> which is totally, you know, I'm very cynical about when people get into Tantra for sexy sexual reasons, but what it, what happened was like, I got in for sexual reasons, but it triggered a huge spiritual awakening for me. It led me to start doing Kundalini yoga, which is a practice I've recently chosen to leave because of kind of a history of abuse with the guy who started it. But it was very transformative to me and got the energy flowing, you know, that Kundalini energy that is the kind of primal sexual energy in the spine Mm -hmm. moving throughout my body, making me more aware of my energy field. And then I found a kind of mentor who I thought was a good mentor for me. And in a way she was in other ways she wasn't, but I was like, Oh, well, she's not trying to have sex with me. So I I was very cautious of just sleaziness in these neo-tantra communities. And I was like, Oh, well, she's not bringing that sleaziness to me. But then I had an experience where I started practicing tantra with this young man and she found out and she got very territorial And I realized that she wasn't predatory towards me, but she was a woman in her fifties who was like initiating all these really young men Mm. in a way that felt sort of sleazy and predatory. And so I stopped working with her at that point, but that kind of lit the spark. And then when I was 35, I was like, well, I'm not going to force a Kundalini awakening. I think if you are actively practice spirituality and get into stuff like altered states with BDSM, you already have that sexual energy flowing within your body. It's, I think I was already somewhat awakened, but I'm like, I don't want to have some dramatic Kundalini awakening. I don't want to force that. I'd heard horror stories, but then like things would happen. Like I found a, a, this rainbow snake, dead snake lying in the street, just in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And then I decided that I needed to get rainbow snakes tattooed, a pair of rainbow snakes tattooed up along my spine. And I'm like, I'm not trying to trigger the Kundalini awakening. I'm just getting a (laughs) Kundalini awakening tattoo. That's all. And I was making all this artwork with images of snakes. And it's sort of, I had kind of more of a traditional Kundalini awakening 
with a dom I was working with where, you know, we were doing what would normally be a typical scene for us. And I just got completely overwhelmed and I felt like I couldn't round out my energy. And, you know, with that has come this ability to like have orgasms where I'm not even touched just from breathing. And it's almost kind of hard because most of my sexual partners just aren't on my level. And so I feel like I'm in like PhD level spiritual sex craziness and they're still in maybe second or third grade. And it's, it's made it harder for me to date and have a fulfilling sexual life. And I'm sort of still very wary of people in these spiritual sexuality communities. So that's been complicated for me. Like it's, it's like exciting to wake up to that stuff, but it's sort of like the archetypical, okay, now I can see the matrix and it kind of is, like, do I want to see the matrix? (laughs) It's Um, a lot. And then the other thing that I think was a turning point was I had, um, I took psilocybin mushrooms for the first time when I was 35. And that led to me doing it about 16 times in five years, culminating in a trip last year that was like one of the darkest moments of my life. So I'm kind of, I think I kind of went as far as I could go with that. But that was something that also awakened a lot of awareness for me as a spiritual person. It's kind of stereotypical, but it was really special to get to have that experience. Stereotypical definitely does not mean it's not effective, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was really hard on me too, because I had this experience of just being pure spirit, not tethered to my body, not tethered to my ego and my anxiety. And I think a lot of people find that merging with the infinite to be very scary. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was liberating. And then I had to go back to being a human in a body and dealing with dumb human stuff. And that was very devastating for me. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my frustrating awakening within (laughs) exploring psychedelics was like not wanting to come down once I tasted that. I feel like I have some grasp of what it is, but can you just describe what a Kundalini awakening is? Sure. So within Tantra, there's this idea that there's two, that there's these two channels of energy that are sort of like sleeping snakes at the bottom of your spine and through doing different practices. And ultimately, Tantra is not about sex. Sex is a way of accessing this energy. It's a, it's like, it, Tantra is a spiritual practice and sex is a tool that you can use to access the energy and to have these experiences. But it's not the only way. And a lot of it is just like breathing and meditating and movement. And I've certainly taught workshops where people were very disappointed because it wasn't sexy, sexy, sex. It was a lot of breathing and movement, you know, Mm -hmm. but the idea is that there's these two energy snakes that are sleeping at the bottom of your spine and that through these practices, you can wake them up. And then the two snakes kind of twine around each other and move up the spine to the top of the head. And then you have this kind of spiritual awakening that occurs. I don't know if that's the best description of it, but I always found it a little bit limited because it, the idea of a kundalini awakening is like all of a sudden you just wake up to this energy and I already felt like pretty awake to the energy and I was like okay I don't and even now that I've had the energy wake up more I still have to like pay my bills and feed myself and take care of my like I can't be that open and awakened all the time yeah. or I can't function right. and I've had people say like yeah sometimes you go to these communities where people are really into this work and they're just not tethered to their bodies. They're just kind of in outer space all the time. So that's always bothered me for a number of reasons. One thing that 
it seems disrespectful to uh, communities and oppression and all these things that we need to deal with, you know, because I often, I feel like when I, when I, my issue with a lot of new age communities is they don't seem to be grounded in the political situation or they don't care or, you know, at least when you have these conversations or, and I, I feel like we all sort of have a need to commit to each other, to stay grounded in some way to. Yeah. Well, I feel if you're incarnated in human form, it's because you're here to have a human experience. Mm. You're not here to, and so there is this sort of fantasy about the monk who goes and lives in a cave and completely isolates and achieves nirvana. And I'm like, I don't think that's what we're here for. Right. That very, it almost feels a little, the idea is like, oh, non-attachment and, you know, that you're doing this for the benefit of all beings. But it's it feels kind of selfish to me in a way. And my mother has said that too. She's like, I don't really care about my own journey so much as about like the collective journey. And I was like, you know, and that's where she's arrived after 50 years of Buddhism, where she just has shifted her gears towards more social justice movements and less from her Sangha, which is all white boomers being very self-righteous. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, my journey has definitely led me closer to Buddhism, but that's one issue I have trying to find a Sangha is that so many of them are predominantly white and I mean I'm white so in in theory that shouldn't bother me but I want I want to be a part of communities that are grounded in social justice and when yeah predominantly upper middle class and white they don't care yeah you know yeah she's been working with someone and recommended someone um, named Lama Rod Owens Mm -hmm. who's like a queer person of color who's a Buddhist and and I've looked at some of their stuff and, and like, yeah, that's like, I can understand why my mom is more attracted to that than what she's described in her Sangha is just that it's really dominated by like older white men that they never supported the younger generation, that it's not a welcoming place for people who are not middle-class white people. And now there's no generation to take over because there's no next wave of people because they never made space for new people. And I, you know, I never, I always felt a little turned off by her community. And at this point, I kind of feel a little justified, like, okay, I always felt like, is there something wrong with me that this doesn't, I don't connect with this. And it's like, no, because it was very exclusive and very privileged and weird. And yeah, so um, I'm a little allergic to Buddhism, just because my parents were constantly trying to get me to be involved with it. And sometimes the way that white people approach Buddhism is like almost like a weird form of Christianity where it's very like trying to convert people. And like, you know, you just have to find this savior and that'll fix all your problems. And and, I'm just like, no, this isn't Eastern Christianity. This is something else. Yeah. So so first of all, for folks who are interested, Lama Rod Owens is amazing and has an online sangha that is committed to centering um, queer folks and people of color. And I, I totally recommend checking it out. The, the concept of um, spiritual bypassing really appeals mm. to me. And I, I, think, yeah. I think that's partially what you're getting at is people are drawn to I, any spiritual path as a way of moving beyond their suffering when that is moving beyond the human experience. Right. Yeah. 
you know, and that's something I struggle with too, is it's like, sometimes I'm like, why did I incarnate? This is horrible. <laughs> this is so unworkable. But the one thing that my mom has actually taught me that's really helped when I've felt so just so much pain about just how much pain there is feeling that on a personal, feeling the collective pain on a personal level is she's just like, send out love and good intentions to everything. And that's not a substitute from t- for taking action in the world. But that's something where it's like, if I'm just stuck and feeling just intense grief, that's something I can do about it to move past that grief into just extending empathy and love. And then that makes, puts me in a better place to do action. Totally. Um, yeah. And I think Lama Rod Owens talks about sending out the energy of orgasm for that mm. purpose. And mm. that's been something that I've carried with me. And also I do a lot of energy work with my clients. They mostly do phone sex where when they have their orgasms, I always like take in their, not taken to myself, but I collect the energy of their orgasm to do magic with and getting to the point where it's like, you know, I used to just be like, okay, I'm going to do money magic with this and use this energy to bring me more money. And now I'm like, oh no, I want to send some of this energy out to be a benefit to anyone who needs it, mm. not just myself. So that was kind of good for, I mean, yeah, like it's just always a delicate balance. For sure. My last question, how do you define the erotic? I was thinking about this and I kind of view it as this liminal space between the physical and the spirit, like a sort of trance state where you're, I'm going to go real esoteric and in Kabbalah, the tree of life, the, the lowest station is Malkuth and it's earth and it's also not earth. And that's kind of the the erotic for me in my own body. It's sort of like my sacral chakra space, like my womb space, like that's an energy center where like when I'm stimulated there, I feel like I'm on another plane of existence as well as being in my body. Mm. And so eroticism to me is sort of like using the body to access ecstatic states, whether that's eating something really delicious or having an orgasm or having sexual pleasure or appreciating the beauty of a painting or smelling a flower, just that sort of transcendent, that place where, where the physical kind of dissolves into magic, if that makes sense, into something gets you out of, cuts you out of your head. That's really like what eroticism to me is that moment where you get out of your head and into your body and use your body as a vehicle to access transcendence Mm -hmm. and pleasure. That's a pretty heady description, (laughs) but when I really thought about eroticism is getting out of your head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have this super intellectual version of it. I took a really great class on Kabbalah with someone named Mir who runs Wicked Grounds Cafe in San Francisco. And they were talking about how you can't access the spirit realm, the soul realm through your brain. It has to be through your body. Mm-hmm. Even though we sometimes view our body as like the dumb animal part of ourselves, like where it's like, oh, it's the least intelligent, but it really isn't. And that's where you have your ancestral DNA. Like your body is so special and the brain really wants to think that it's more important than the body and that drives like eating and sex and sleeping are like lesser drives compared to like this more intellectual pursuits. But I think it's all important.
I mentioned this in another conversation, but the the person that wrote Radical Acceptance, Tara Brock, she has a podcast and she was talking about the wisdom of the body and how ideally the mind is a servant of the body and that the body holds yeah. the ultimate wisdom. And I don't know, I've been thinking about that a lot, about how in many ways that does, I guess, you know, it feels like it feels appropriate for an erotic spiritual path anyway. I know you said you're, you don't feel like you're on the left path or the right path, but I think there's something to the left-handed path when you're drawn to experience the body and not just try to escape it, Yeah, which I think you have to be to have an erotic experience that it's just, it's messy and gritty and dark. In many ways, I think that that is the harder path, right? Is Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't like to say that I'm basically one or the other. It's like, I am involved in a satanic church. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're left-hand path. And I'm like, yeah, I am, but it's not all that I am. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just really interested in Satanism as like the liberation of knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's sort of choosing to have the awakening where you see it's the loss of innocence, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of, of the snake in the garden of Eden you know, and the forbidden knowledge. And what is the forbidden knowledge is that you yourself are as God, which mm. is like, you know, oh no, can't have humans knowing that they're divine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the Satanists I hang out with are, are all queer nerds who are awesome. I mean, there are a lot of Satanists who are into about stuff that I'm not about. So, um, but I feel like it's it's like, you know, I have dabbled in the more sort of toxic positivity law of attraction communities. And I've taken away really great stuff from like the light workers and the those people. Like I've made vision boards and had them come true. And like that's really neat. But that's not the only thing. You can't just be like, I'm gonna manifest my perfect life. And then you have people who like are like, oh, Louise Hay died. She must have not actually been doing her own affirmations correctly that she got (laughs) cancer. And it's like, oh my God, you can't chant or meditate or pray your way out of death and illness and human experience. You're here for all of it. And that's why I'm like, not one side or the other, like, and no one is really, you can say you're a light worker, you can say that you, you know, are the deepest, darkest Satanist, but like, we have all of it and everyone. And I'm sure lots of people will be offended by lots of things I say in this interview, and that's fine. But I wouldn't even say that I'm the middle path. I I just go where I am drawn in the moment. And I'm constantly learning and exploring and evolving. So you wander a lot. I wander. Yes, I'm a wanderer. So talk again about the, the, the erotic bliss. What, what is that bliss for you? That's a good question. I haven't experienced it. Well, I experienced it a lot with myself. I haven't had a real partner experience that's taken me there in a long time, unfortunately, but for myself, it's sort of like being able to go into an alternate dimension And I will masturbate to my anger. I will masturbate to my anxiety. And that will get me as worked up as traditional arousal. It's a way to explore the energy in my body and my emotions and build up that energy, concentrate it, release it, manipulate it, transform it. And with another person, it's just, if if it's with the right person, it is just a way that you can experience intimacy that is otherwise very difficult to achieve. And that's part of why I sort of struggle with this idea of hookup culture, where it's really like, 
you know, if the, the goal is just to have an orgasm with another, use another person as a sex toy to have an orgasm, it's just sort of like you're missing out on so much of what makes sex interesting for me, mm. uh, which is sort of why I don't necessarily have a lot of sex these days. Like I sort of, if I'm going to open up to someone in that way, I want it to be really more interesting and explorative. I had a lot of the casual sex when I was younger and I'm not saying there's no value in that, but at this point as opened up as I am, I want it to be sort of more of a spiritual playground and an opportunity to understand myself better, understand them better. And like, yeah, the physical pleasure is a piece of that. But for me, the pleasure is as much energetic as it is in my body. It's both. We haven't talked much about your your work as a sex worker. Sure. Where does that fit in? Because you do a lot of spiritual work with your clients. Yeah. Erotic spiritual work. So can you just talk about it? Sure. I would say it's like I'm technically called a phone sex operator, but my work it doesn't draw on my own sexual energy very much at this point. It's really about helping them. There's a lot of energy healing that occurs. There's a lot of trance states that we access. Um, I'm currently working on a program to help people retrieve their lost divine feminine energy, which, you know, young men and boys are often told to shut off that part of themselves. And then they feel so empty later in life that they don't, they're not integrated with this part of themselves. that's their birthright. Um, so it's sort of like a weird form of radical energy healing, radical sex therapy. I can't legally call myself a therapist, but that is what I do to some extent is just help people work through their stuff. And then I get a phone call from someone who just wants to jerk off. And I say, I'm sorry, that's not really what I do. I've been doing phone sex off and on for 12 years. I've been doing it as my job full time for six years. And I can't keep doing it unless it feels in alignment and meaningful for me. And it's been hard during pandemic to sort of muster the energy and focus necessary because everyone feels so needy and empty. I feel needy and empty. Like it's, there's not a lot of positive energy, you know, to be found. But it really, yeah, it's it's weird because I think a lot of people come to me because they like the image of like the, ooh, this priestess, you know, this is like really sexy. And people are really turned on by the idea of cult leaders, the idea of sex magic, the idea of rituals and initiation. And that kind of brings them in. But there are a lot of people who are like, who are really looking for a deep healing or spiritual transformative experience. And that's what I do. And I don't think I could do that. I thought about becoming a sex therapist when I was younger, but I like kind of working in this wild west of having a lot of freedom to draw on my own experiences, to create experiences for other people. And it's a delicate balance. Sometimes, you know, I'm still making a living and you know, sometimes it hurts to have to turn down a client if they're not about what I'm about. But at the same time, it's like, I can't give my energy away. It's it's like the equivalent of a hookup where they just want to jerk off and then, you know, be done in five minutes. It's just, that just feels like an energetic drain on me. So I work with people who really want to go deeper. I've had an interesting experience recently where I really bring out channel succubus energy and feed on client energy as a succubus consensually. But I had one client realize that like he channels succubus energy and he needed to just sort of come into alignment and acceptance of his own inner succubus and embracing that energy. 
So it's, it's very mysterious and exciting. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I think I've found, so probably a lot of people would be surprised that phone sex is still a thing or even is as big of a market as it is. But yeah. I think part of why there's such a big market for it is because there's, there's a lot of wanderers like you and like me yeah. who can't find what they're looking for elsewhere. And that audio connection offers people an intimacy around strange top topics, desires, fetishes that they just can't find elsewhere. You know? Sure, so, sure. No, people have asked me like, oh, well, hasn't cam and porn replaced it? And it's like, no, because that's a visual fantasy experience. Whereas like phone work is very psychological and definitely energetic for me. I feel like I train that there is an energy exchange that is very palpable that happens that, you know, the breath is the vehicle of spirit. So the voice is also a vehicle of spirit. Mm -hmm. And I have my clients do a lot of specific types of breath work to get into trance states or to, you know, change their energy signature. And yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is a form of magic and I don't think I could do it in any other career, even within, there are people who do in person sacred intimate work who also do very amazing healing stuff. And I'm, you can, I'm sure you can do amazing healing stuff even as a cam worker, but phone sex is different from any other type of sex work. You can't just swap it in and out with cam or escorting or anything else. It's, and I've had that with friends who are sex workers in other parts of the industry where I'm like, Oh, well, if you ever, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm sick of stripping, like my feet hurt. And I'm like, come do phone sex. And they're like, nah, I just don't doesn't, they're people who are physical performers and they express themselves with their body and they really need their body to do their magic. Whereas like my magic really comes from my mind and my soul mm. rather than my physical body in doing phone sex. So. And I'm assuming, do you feel like that's, that's a gift of the universe, that specific way that you do magic and that you have an energetic connection with people? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because sometimes I'm like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't, you know, it, it's hard to feel sort of beaten down because what I do is so stigmatized that I'm like, oh, am I actually doing anything that's meaningful? And it's, it's both, I'm doing something that's meaningful for my clients. And I'm also modeling something for other people in my life in terms of living my authenticity. And I certainly haven't chosen an easy path and a lot of people are very think it's very strange that I have, I'm 41 and I have several professional careers behind me. I have a master's degree and I started doing this full time after I got my master's degree and people are like, oh, that's a waste. And I'm like, no, I have so much freedom. I make more money. Um, this feels more authentic than what I could have done, what I was quote unquote supposed to do or groomed to do in graduate school. And I'm like, wow, I could have saved myself a lot of money. But at the same time, I felt like graduate school in and of itself was a really important growth experience for me, even if I, that didn't translate to a career in what I studied. And actually, my best friend in graduate school, we both studied public health. She's a carpenter now. I'm a sex worker. She's a carpenter. We both were like, yeah, you know, we got this degree, but this, you know, working at a county health department isn't really our soul's calling, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it was, it was a growth experience and it was part of my journey and it was a really magical time. And I met you because uh, I met you when I was in grad school. I wouldn't have met you otherwise. So yeah, it all happens for a reason. It does. And I, I mean, you know, I'm turning 40 this year and just thinking like, uh, I feel like I wasted so much time 
on jobs that I didn't want to be doing and stuff. But then I think if I didn't have all that time, I wouldn't be the person that I am. Sure. I am really glad that I had professional careers and conventional. I was always a weirdo, but I tried to be in a conventional relationship. I, I tried to walk the straight and narrow path and I found it very soul crushing. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, good that I have that under my belt. So I'm not like, Oh, well, I could have gotten married. I could have had kids. I could have done this. I could have done that. Um, I think that sometimes it's harder for people who go to sex work into sex work straight out of high school and they never actually have an opportunity to explore other types of careers. And then it can be sort of a trap for them. If I really wanted to change careers, I could, I've just really thought about it. And I don't think I could go back to working nine to five in an office and being, I never was happy doing that. I've tasted freedom (laughs) and it's hard, but it's worth it. So two thoughts. One is that I think that we can be called to something or gifted in something and not have to do it forever. You know, we've all got different gifts and different ways of using those gifts. I know sometimes like the work that you do gets tiring and you wonder if there are other things, but there's nothing that offers the same amount of freedom and that's as fulfilling, at least not in the moment. Yeah. But you were saying that like, because the work is so stigmatizing and sometimes it doesn't feel like you're offering so much good in the world. So I, I pulled up your profiles on the site and one of your profiles has over 1,600 five-star reviews from people. (laughs) (laughs) Another one has nearly 200 five-star reviews. And I mean, the thing is like, this isn't just giving somebody a way of getting off quickly. You know, like you said, like these are things that people search for that they don't know how else to find. Yeah. There's some erotic spiritual fulfillment for a lot of them as well you know yeah over 1800 but just with those two lines alone you know sure sure no and and I do fill a niche and I have to kind of a lot of people who are really on the cutting edge of anything are laughed at and then later their contribution is you know, celebrated, but in the moment they, and I remember saying something about how, like I was teaching my clients how to have better boundaries with women, you know, by firmly modeling consent and the woman who is my former best friend laughed in my face. And this was my best friend. She's like, no, you don't. You think you do, but no, you don't. And I was like, it was like being slapped, you know, just to have my work disrespected so blatantly. And It's hard because I am out to my parents to some extent, but I always feel like they're waiting for me to find a different job. Mm -hmm. And with my most serious relationship in my early thirties, it was like, he gave me the green light to start doing it. I had taken a break when I was with him and he was like, oh no, you can totally start doing this again. But then when he realized it was becoming a career, he began actively sabotaging me and it was okay for me to do this as a side gig to get through grad school. But if I wasn't, and, and, you know, and he was overly obsessed with the fact that I was doing phone sex, even though at that time I had made a documentary that was on the local PBS station. It was on the front page of my school's website. I was getting published in the New York times. I was, I had a contract position with Google. I was doing a lot of high profile work 
But he couldn't let go of the fact that I also did phone sex, (laughs) even though phone sex was what was funding all of the high profile stuff. None of the high profile stuff paid enough. Right, right. So yeah, it's sort of like being a sanitation worker or something, you know, like someone has to, this is like almost sort of like energy dirty work where it's just like the stuff that people can't talk about that festers and is stagnant and corroded and we're so our society is so blocked and stuck and immature around sexuality and then in spaces where it is encouraged to be discussed freely whether that's neo-tantra or swingers or bdsm then it often comes out in really toxic ways because it's been so suppressed that people still have this scarcity mindset or it's dirty or it's naughty or whatever. It can, it can also come out in beautiful ways in those communities, but I've also seen just like a ton of abuse and consent violations and horrible stuff happen. So it's like, I am really like sex work is very much left-hand path spiritual work because you're sticking your fingers in the muck and pulling out the diamonds. You You are the Lotus growing out of the filth. And that's not because I think sex is dirty. I think it's because people are so energetically blocked around sex. That's, that's the filth is just the not being forced to deny your true self. And if I had a nickel for every client who's like, I love my wife, but I can't, she's not into my fetish or she's not okay with me having this feminine side or being submissive or whatever. And that breaks my heart. You know, I don't, I'm glad that I can provide a safe space for them to explore that. That isn't them being physically intimate with another person if they want to maintain that physical exclusivity with their partner. But yeah, it is just a very, it's healer work and it's, you, it, it requires you to bear a very heavy stigma. I mean, I will um, acknowledge my privilege that for me as a phone worker, my former partner was um, an escort and she definitely ha- had to carry a lot more stigma than I did. Like, for example, with dating, guys are like, oh, well, it's fine because it's just on the phone. Whereas with her, they're like, ew, you're dirty. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a weird sense of hierarchy, which I don't myself don't hold. I don't think I'm any better or worse than any other sex worker. I think all sex workers do really important work in different ways. Right. My stigma is lesser than in serv- in-person full service workers, but it still is like, I mean, I was at a sex therapist conference talking to someone who was a sex therapist and I was like, yeah, I have a master's in public health, but I choose to work as an artist and I choose to, you know, do phone sex and do that rather than a clinical position. And she said to me, oh, your parents must be proud. And I was like, you are a sex therapist. How dare you? And she's like, oh, was that slut shamey? And I'm like, that's horrophobic. Yeah. I can't believe you just said this to me that you have made your career out of talking to people about healthy sexuality and you just shamed me Mm -hmm. for what I do. And that kind of just makes me feel like, okay, well, thank God I'm not a sex therapist in a clinical setting because I just am so underwhelmed by what I see in that arena. I'm not saying that all sex therapists are like that, but I've met so many people who are just like, you're supposed to be helping people. And yet you haven't really examined your own shit. I've had a lot of those conversations. Well, no, I've had a lot of self-doubt around, you know, the the work that I do through pro-doming and phone stuff as well as my sex and relationship advice column of like is this okay is this ethical because I'm often placed in the role of a therapist without having a therapist degree Mm -hmm. but then I realized that 
A, either a lot of people come to me who have had a ton of bad experiences with therapists, you know, or they're not ready or they're not finding what they need. And it's okay for there to be alternatives in the world. No, I think, I think so too. And I think some of the people who come to me wouldn't go to a therapist or wouldn't necessarily thrive with a therapist. And also therapy is academic based. And I think that there's a lot of value to having that education, but it's also, there's a real devaluing of experience in this culture. Yeah. Yeah. Experience means something. And and sometimes those don't always go together with an academic education. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I have misgivings about within the world of sex therapy. I think it's really important, but I also think, and it's a lot of, a lot of sex workers decide to go that path. I actually thought about walking that path before I became a sex worker. And I just realized that it wasn't for me, that I wanted to get more accredited around sexuality so that people would take me seriously as a sex Mm -hmm. educator. That's ultimately what I did in grad school. For example, I took a class where we watched SARS, which I forget what it stands for. Sexual assess. I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, It's something that sex therapists have to do. They have to watch these films that are supposed to desensitize themselves to hot hot button sexual issues, whether that's BDSM or elder sex or sex and disability. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so glad I missed the class where they did scat because I really couldn't handle that viscerally. Yeah. But like all the other stars that we watched, it was like BDSM, elder sex. Why? Who the fuck is going to be upset about like people over the age of 50 having sex? Let them have sex. If they're having sex, that's fantastic same with sex and disability the fact that these are considered like oh creepy crawly icky it just feels really like kind of gross and ableist to me to like be holding these things up as like ew this is gross but you have to look at it so you don't recoil when your client brings it up like you know what if it it really feels yeah that's right Winnie it feels like like people who are just not okay with the body yeah Because if if you're not okay with disabled bodies or aging bodies or bodies in pain, like maybe there's some stuff around just the body in general that you have. Yeah, no, I could could see that too. I think it's sexual attitude reassessment. I think that's what SAR stands for. And there are people who are getting into doing more social justice stars, SARS, which is good. I'm so grateful that I've, you know, even when I have times where I'm experiencing burnout, especially around this pandemic, that I do have a way to earn a living that allows me to be so much my true self and to do healing work. And as unconventional as it may be, I'm so, so grateful for that. And, you know, there may come a day where it's time for for me to move on. And I think I'll know and the path will become clear, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) That's about it. Yeah, I think Winnie's ready for me to get off the phone. <laughs> okay. Well, it was great talking to you about all this stuff. It's it's both of us, I feel, are on this wild and woolly frontier of sex and magic and spirituality. And I love I love that you are my friend and that we've gone through a lot of these journeys together, knowing each other since yeah, 2013 or 2012. I don't remember, but I've known you quite a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. around there. Yeah. Learn more about Venus at bbwvenusvalentine.com. Follow her on Twitter at the BBW Succubus and on Instagram at bbwvenusvalentine.